Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, just as Tim was introducing me, I actually got distracted because I live in a flat and my downstairs neighbours have just turned their music on really loudly. So I had to quickly text them saying, I'm about to speak at a church on Zoom. Can you keep your music down? Or I said to them, can you make it really good tunes? So we shall see what happens. If you suddenly hear a lot of music in the background, they would have taken me seriously on that. But it's great to be with you. It obviously is no substitute to be uh, to being with you in person, which would have been better. But um, I'm thankful for the technology that we have that means that we can go ahead even um, under these circumstances. And I feel like I'm probably going to get in trouble if I use the word unprecedented. So I apologise from the outset. But, you know, we are living in unprecedented times that none of our lifetimes have we ever experienced anything like what we're living through right now. And it's a time of so much uncertainty. Um, even with you guys just going back into lockdown and the uncertainty of when will that be lifted again? What impact will that have? And then I think for the whole uh, nation, what's going to happen in the winter as the furlough scheme comes to an end? You know, just... I think we're asking questions like, well, is life ever going to be the same? And some of us are hoping it won't go back to exactly what it was, but some of us can't wait for maybe the moment when it does. And so there's so much uncertainty all around us. And so I thought it would be good to talk about some of that tonight. But before we get to that, I wanted to just talk about something that hasn't changed, something that actually is exactly the same as it's always been. And it's my favourite subject to speak on. If any of you heard me speak before, it won't surprise you that I'm going to talk about the thing that hasn't changed, which is the mercy of God, the compassion of God. God has always been merciful. He always will be merciful. And whatever else we uh, look to rely on during this season, when so much is changing and so much is unknown, what we can count on is that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is never changing. He is always exactly who he says he is. And who he says he is, is a God merciful and compassionate, slow to anger. And um, I think it's really obvious from the whole Bible that God's mercy and compassion is especially focused on people in poverty or people facing injustice. That God has always cared passionately about seeing people um, set free from the tyranny of poverty and injustice, um, set free from oppression, lifted up out of poverty. Um, when God created the world, there was no poverty. Obviously, it was a perfect world when God created it. So there was no sin, no sickness, no death, and therefore no potential for poverty at that point at all. If you think about it, when there were no natural disasters, therefore there weren't those things that can push people into um, hunger or homelessness or so many other forms of poverty. But equally, because there was no sin, uh, you couldn't fall victim to my greed and selfishness and I couldn't fall victim to yours. We, we, the world was perfect. It wasn't broken. So um, I wouldn't ever be pushed into poverty by you and you couldn't be pushed into poverty by me. But as soon as sin came into the world, there came with it the potential for poverty and injustice. And it wasn't long before those things materialized before they appeared. And now, um, Ever since that moment, we've been living in a world 
in, where every nation is affected in one way or another by poverty and by injustice. And it looks different from nation to nation, but it exists across the whole world. And so since poverty came into the world, it's been a vital and pressing concern for God. It's been something that he, um, he's not passive towards, he's not distant towards it, he's not cold-hearted. If anything, he's the exact opposite. It's something that he um, is righteously angry about, that he intervenes, that he um, wants his people to take seriously. And we see it in Exodus 34, when you know Moses says to God, um, reveal yourself. I want to see your glory. Will you show me your glory? Now, I, I find it incredible that God doesn't do some massive act of power or some act of might or um, just create something completely new or, you know, pick up a mountain and move it in front of Moses and go, there you go. You've just seen my glory. Um, instead of doing anything like that, what God says to Moses is, why don't you come up the mountain and I'll reveal myself to you. And when he reveals himself, uh, this is what it says in the Bible in Exodus 34, it says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So when God revealed himself to Moses, uh, when Moses said, show me your glory and God said, yeah, okay, I will. The primary way that God describes and identifies himself is as a God of mercy. And then um, skipping forward many, many hundreds of years, Jesus comes and the Bible tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, that Jesus is exactly like God. And we see Jesus start his earthly ministry in Luke chapter four. It says the um, scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he found the place where it is written that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor, to bring liberty to the captives, to bring sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed to bring the year of the Lord's favor. And I find it really interesting that it says that Jesus was handed the scroll and he found the place where it was written. So he didn't do that thing of like, oh, you know, I've got some scripture here and I'm just going to do this and plonk my finger and wherever it lands, that's what I'll read. And likewise, he wasn't given the passage and told, read this bit. It says he found the place where it was written. So it was intentional and deliberate that Jesus started his whole ministry talking about the poor talking about the oppressed, talking about the captive. And so Jesus comes to represent the mercy of God towards those in poverty, those in, trapped in injustice. Um, and we can see it in his life in the Gospels that he spent most of his time with people that society wanted nothing to do with. The people that, if you'd asked the religious leaders of Jesus' time, um, these people here, what have they got to contribute to society? the religious leaders would have said nothing. They've got nothing to offer. In fact, not only have they got nothing to offer, you should avoid them at all costs. They're sinners, they're unclean, you need to keep away from them. And they're exactly the people that Jesus spent the vast majority of his time with and expended most of his energy into meeting their needs and being with them and revealing the mercy of the Father to them. But then there's this amazing verse in the Bible, which I absolutely love. In Luke 6, verse 36, this is my favorite verse in the Bible, where Jesus says to his disciples, be merciful just as the Father is merciful. It's this beautiful invitation for us, those who worship and follow God, 
those who follow Jesus, to be like the Father. This, this glorious God who revealed himself to Moses in his glory as a God merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. To hear Jesus is saying, you can be like him. There's, there's this invitation, come and be merciful like your father is merciful. I think it's absolutely astonishing and wonderful and exciting. And if ever there was a time to want to show the mercy of God to those around us, surely this season we're living in right now is that time. I mean, hopefully we want to do it all the time, but if we need something to provoke us, then, then we just need to look at the coronavirus pandemic and the impact that it's had on those around us. Now, I don't know about you, you may have lost loved ones during this season. You may have had your life utterly disrupted. You may have lost your income. Your kids may have lost any interaction with other children during the majority of this time of lockdown. And you might be wondering, how's that going to affect their development? There are obviously ways in which we are affected by coronavirus. And I know when the lockdown started, my tendency was to really focus on um, how hard it was going to be for me. I knew from the outset that I was going to lose 20% of my income and just like, yeah, one of my income streams just completely died basically. And then I knew there was going to be a hit on things like, to be honest, speaking engagements and things like that. I travel a lot. I speak and write. Um, not only were, suddenly did all the speaking engagements get cancelled, um, which is a source of income for me, but also the book that I had due to come out in June got postponed. And that has a knock-on effect as well. I was also thinking as well as losing out financially um, from various jobs that I had, that I was also aware that I live on my own. And if I had to isolate for 14 days, I wasn't allowed to go out. And if lockdown got to the point where I wasn't allowed to leave the house, I knew that my mental health would probably struggle with that because I've got a tendency towards depression anyway. And so I thought, this is going to be really bad for me. How am I going to cope being on my own? Um, while other people started to get excited about the prospect of sitting in the garden in the beautiful weather, I don't know what it's like there, but here it's been sunny for the vast majority of this time. Um, and other people were talking about how they were sitting in the garden reading all the books that they'd never got around to reading. And I was thinking, well, that's all well and good if you've got a nice house and you've got a garden. I haven't got a garden. I live in a flat. Um, I was aware quite quickly just a few weeks in that although I'm not a particularly huggy person anyway, I was suddenly really missing physical touch. Just hadn't touched another human being actually for months as, as it went on. Um, I also get fed by friends a lot. I mean, a ridiculous amount, to be honest with you. Usually before lockdown, at least five nights a week, I would be around other people's houses having dinner. And it may sound ridiculous to you, but for me, one of the hardest things in the first few weeks of lockdown was just learning to cook for myself every single day because I, my favorite food to eat is macaroni cheese out of a tin. I don't mean I eat it out of the tin. I mean, I heat it up and then I eat it. But that is my, that's, that's what I eat when I cook for myself. And suddenly I had all my friends saying to me, you, you can't live on that every day of the week. You have to learn to cook something substantial, uh, like vegetables, apparently. That's important. Rumour has it. Um, so, you know, for me, actually, that may sound like something to many people that's ridiculous. But for me, that was something that I found it a real struggle. So I noticed at the beginning of lockdown that I went quite insular. I went quite, like, uh, almost self-pitying a little bit. Like, I was, I was very... Um, 
fixated a little bit on how this was going to be hard for me, how it was already hard for me, how it was going to get worse for me. Was it going to be difficult? What, what was it going to be like? And I really felt God speak to me quite powerfully in those first few weeks of lockdown about the fact that actually most of the things I was struggling with just revealed something of my privilege. They just showed that actually I've got a roof over my head that it actually isn't at risk during this time. That um, I have wonderful friends who are prepared to feed me most of the time, but what a good opportunity for me to actually learn how to cook decent food. Um, that my, though my income had dropped, I wasn't actually destitute. I wasn't um, needing to ask for help. Actually, uh, that bit of income I lost just means I won't go on holiday for a while. Or just means if something goes wrong, I haven't got money set aside for a rainy day. And actually, that's how most people live. That's how most people around the world live. And so I felt God really speak to me about while coronavirus has been a, a significant inconvenience for me, it hasn't actually been a catastrophe. But for many people, maybe for some of you, it has been an utter catastrophe. For some people who were furloughed and lost 20% of their income, that 20% is what they used to use to feed their family. Uh, we've got people down where I am in Hastings who have seasonal businesses that if they have a rubbish summer, if they don't make a lot of money in the summer, they won't survive the winter. And so there's a lot of people at the moment saying our businesses probably aren't going to make it through to next summer. There are people who've struggled with having kids at home and needing to homeschool who don't even have a table their kids can sit at to do homework, let alone a computer or a tablet or whatever, um, who don't have a strong Wi-Fi connection. At least I was able to work from home with the safe knowledge that my Wi-Fi connection is pretty um, robust. So I felt God really speak to me about the fact that this isn't a time for me to kind of shrink back and think about myself, but it's actually a time for me to be more radical in the mercy that I show to others. And there's been, I think, three particular ways God's spoken to me about this. One of them is, what am I going to do with my money during this time? So I mentioned that I've got less money now than I had prior to lockdown, but I still can support myself. So what am I going to do with money that I've got that actually can be given to someone else? Am I going to keep it in case my boiler breaks or in case something happens to my car? Or am I going to keep it just in case I want to go on holiday next year? Or am I going to give it away? Am I going to recognize that there are many people for whom this really is a crisis? This really is a catastrophe. And actually, if I've got more than I need, who can I bless with my money? Who can I share some of my um, comfort with? Because actually, coronavirus has been a massive disruption to my comfort, but I still have more than I need. So instead of just making sure I'm OK, how can I think about others around me? The second thing, as well as my money, is my meal table. Now, obviously, at the moment, I can't have loads of people around for dinner. But it just really struck me during this time, actually, that learning to cook and maybe learning to cook decent meals might mean that I can extend the same hospitality to other people that has been extended to me through my church family. Um, I managed to go 46 days in a row last year being fed by other people. And um, I mean, I think that was quite an achievement. But those 46 days, some people reacted weirdly to it. Like some people were like, oh, you're kind of, um, why are you doing that? Why are you just scrounging off other people, um, so to speak? But actually what was happening during that time is that God was communicating powerfully to me as a single woman who lives on my own, his 
love and affection for me, that I am in family, that um, I'm part of a church community that genuinely is like family, where I can go around people's houses for dinner and be part of their household. Actually not be treated as anything special, but be treated as just a member of the family. And so God really spoke to me through that time about how the power of meals in an individual's life and just when we're able to come out of lockdown again how can we bless other people through our meal tables because it's one thing to run projects like in Hastings I'm involved in a food bank um, and a night shelter and things like that but there's a difference between helping like feeding people with the church's food or the project's food and actually inviting people around our meal table and people who are in poverty can tell the difference they know when they're being held at arm's length through projects, as good as projects, like I'm involved in projects, please don't mishear me, projects are great. But if all we ever do is projects and we don't actually welcome people into our own homes to eat at our own tables, then I think we've missed something of, of the good news of the gospel because Jesus ate with people who others wouldn't eat with. He ate with um, Matthew, the tax collector, who others would have been horrified at that, that he did that. He uh, a tax collector would have taken money from his own people and given it to their oppressor, the Romans, but also made profit from it. And yet here's Jesus sitting down to eat with a tax collector. Jesus also went and had dinner with Simon the leper. And some of us might think twice before we do that. He went to have dinner with Simon the Pharisee, um, a religious guy who undoubtedly would have looked down on other people and would have been one of the people saying, why do you go and eat with sinners? And yet Jesus seemed okay to eat with people who were very um, different to him, who others would have despised and rejected. And I feel like there's a real challenge to us as to whether we will do the same once we're allowed to do that again. And so I felt God challenging me about money, about my meal table, but also about my mates. Who are my mates? Who are my friends with? And this has been a season where I think we can take love your neighbor as yourself more literally than ever before. In one sense, when I've read in the past about loving Jesus saying we should love our neighbors, I've, I've thought of that as in its broad application, that really that means to love anyone I come into contact with who I can help in any way. But actually there's been an opportunity during this season to love my literal neighbors in a way that I might not have done before. Some of my neighbors, I didn't even know their names before lockdown. And I certainly wouldn't have um, been happy to say to them, oh, if you need a loo roll or you need hand sanitizer or all these things that, you know, pasta and things there were shortages of at the beginning of lockdown. But to be able to actually speak to our neighbours and say, how can I help you at this time? What can I do to support you? Or even what can you do to support me? You know, it's a two way thing. But I felt really provoked by who are my friends? And I don't think it's an accident that when Jesus called his disciples, he mixed people together who wouldn't have naturally wanted to hang out with each other. So I've mentioned Matthew, the tax collector. But if you think for a moment about the fact that the fishermen that Jesus called to be his disciples would have probably not wanted Matthew, the tax collector, to be a disciple too. They probably would have been a bit offended. Like, well, don't you know that he's exploited us? He's taken money from us. He's made a profit from taking our money and giving it to our enemy. So why is he one of your disciples, Jesus? And I don't think it's an accident that Jesus put people together who wouldn't naturally want to hang out with each other. Because I think that's part of being the church is that we're supposed to mix with people who are not like us. And we're supposed to have unity in Christ, even with our diversity. In fact, our diversity is supposed to be a wonderful display to the world around us of what it means to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. 
So I felt God challenged me about my money, about my meal table and about my mates. And I felt God really provoked me that actually during this season, however long it lasts, well, obviously we don't know what's going to happen over the coming weeks and months, but whatever happens, I know that what God does want from us is for us to be more radical in our mercy that we show to those around us, that he wants us to be more radical mercy bringers. Those that really are serious about showing mercy to people, whether we think they deserve it or whether we think they don't. Actually, the Bible says that God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked and that we're to love not only our neighbour, but we're to love our enemies. So actually, there's no kind of get out clause in the Bible for people we can just say, actually, God doesn't call me to love them. We're pretty much called to love and honour everyone around us. So we have an opportunity during this time to respond in ever increasing ways to that wonderful invitation that Jesus lays before us to be merciful, just as our father is merciful. So I'm trying to um, look out for people for whom the coronavirus has really been a crisis, for whom it's really been a catastrophe and think, how can I um, give my money? How can I think about how I'm gonna use my meal table? And how can I actually make friends, be mates with people who are seriously affected? Also that I can demonstrate something of the mercy of Jesus, the mercy of the Father to those around me during this time.